Welcome to The Insider, a podcast from the Mail Tribune and Rosebud Media. I'm Ryan File, Mail Tribune web editor and your humble host. I started this podcast as a way to give readers a behind-the-scenes look at more elaborate stories that took more elbow grease to pull off than the daily, typical grind pieces. I'm a big fan of making of featurettes, and I also think the amount of effort that goes into longer reads should be recognized. Back on the podcast after a few months is Kaylee Ternay, who was recently crowned the Oregon Society of Professional Journalists Rookie of the Year. Her latest tour de force is, as she first described it to me, her first love story. And honestly, I think that's a perfect summation. I'd make one modification, however. I'd call this an important love story. Kaylee's piece focuses on married couple Luis and Madalena, and how they currently live more than 2,000 miles apart. The reasons for that vast expanse between husband, now living in Mexico, and wife, still residing in the Rogue Valley, are twofold. First, Luis was a DACA recipient, which gave him protected status as an undocumented immigrant and allowed him to finish nursing school and work without threat of deportation. His DACA recently expired, and he returned in February of this year to go through the legal process that would allow him to return. Second, and maybe most importantly, processing immigration cases in the U.S. has slowed to a crawl the last couple of years. Luis and Madalena, married 10 months before Luis voluntarily returned to Mexico, are in literal limbo. That's what Kaylee wrote about. Kaylee, welcome back. Thanks for having me again. Yeah. I'm obviously always curious uh, to start with as how reporters find stories like these, and we'll get to that. But I wanted to first ask instead why you wanted to write this. I think that there is something automatically compelling about it from the time that I heard about this story, but I think I was initially skeptical a little bit. Um, um, I think there's a natural hesitation uh, when you first think about writing a story about immigration. Um, As a reporter, um, you know that that's going to not be a an uncomplicated story. It's going to naturally be a complicated story, um, an emotional story and a you know legally complex story um, where immigration, there's very much this, um, this automatic sort of right versus wrong. Um, it, there's always undertones of that. And so you want to sort of be sure that you're like ready to take that kind of on when you're thinking, because I, when I heard about the story about Luis uh, being in this situation, um, I was interested and I just didn't have time for it. So I actually had to put it on the back burner for a number of weeks before um, the person who reached out to me um, actually reached back out to me to kind of keep it on my radar um, to see where I was at with it. So um, I think what made me want to tell the story is just the same thing that drives us to do a lot of stories, which is just curiosity. You hear a little bit and you want to find out a little bit more and you don't know at the beginning whether it's going to work out or, or whether what kind of story it's going to be. You just know a little bit of information and it's enough to make you curious so you keep going after it and I think that's what I did. In reading the story, the key hitch for Luis uh, in his situation seems to be that the U.S. has significantly um, pump the brakes on processing immigrants who are doing the work to live and work here legally. How severe of an issue is this right now, and how much of a slowdown on average can it cause for cases like Luis's? I don't know if I know the exact amount of time, um, but 
it, it's true that it slowed 46% um, in 2019, between 2019 and um, I think 2017. Um, that, that case slowed, the, the processing time slowed significantly. Um, according to this American Immigration Lawyers Association analysis of data from U.S. Um, Citizenship and Immigration Services. So, you know, those are numbers. It sounds like, um, you know, but, but what their story does is show the, the human impact of that, which is deeply relational um, and something that um, I think actually resonates with a lot of people, um, you know, thinking of being separated from your family. The story also personally kind of came at an interesting time for me, like being engaged right now, you know, thinking a lot about um, what it would be like to be married for a short amount of time and then immediately separated. Um, and obviously um, there's, you know, you show all that you want to show all the complexities of the, the choices that people make and how those impact um, their story, but I'm sort of meandering a little bit off the point maybe, but, um, but I mean, the fact of the matter is that there are a ton of people trying to um, legally come to this country who are um, being asked to do things by um, the um, State Department um, or by other departments to um, provide documentation that they weren't asked to provide before or come in for interviews for pretty routine visa applications. And those, and in particular in, in Mexico, that is the most crowded one. The, uh, the U.S. consulate in Ciudad Juarez is the most crowded one. There are the most applicants trying to be processed via Mexico. So it's going to be a significant wait for them. Um, they have waited for a number of months already, and they have no idea because the interview will be scheduled out months in advance and they haven't received, a Luis and Madalena haven't received a notice of that yet. So, um, you know, just thinking about what it would be like to, um, to try to live your life when your spouse is far apart from you and then t thinking about what got you there and where do you go from there. And w w with that, uh, this is actually a perfect piggyback to what you just said because this is a delicate story with a lot of basic empathy required to do it well on a human level. So what was it like getting to know these people? Like uh, you had mentioned um, that there was skepticism on your part at first. Was there skepticism on their part or did they seem willing to tell their story from the outset? This was definitely one of those stories where you are reminded, and I think anytime you're doing a story that is a longer sort of project, but really anytime, the work that we do depends so much on the trust of the people that we're talking to. And I think sometimes we don't think about that enough in the day-to-day -day because we're doing very like routine sort of process stories. You know, I mean, they're, they're interesting and they're important, but these are the people who live and breathe or work in these jobs and, and we talk to them about things, but this was like a deeply personal story. I mean, we have all of the details of Luis's personal life sort of out there for the public to see. And that requires a great deal of trust between the source and the reporter, because opening up that much, you 
have to trust that the reporter has a desire to responsibly handle the details of your personal life. And it's actually, it feels like it's rare to encounter people in our line of work when we're going about who want to do that. And honestly, I understand why, because it's hard to be open, especially in the age of like looking at when when you can get feedback you do not have to look if you put your story out in the public you will not have to look far to be able to get feedback on that um from you know warriors with keyboards and i was just it's very humbling actually to go through that experience of knowing that you have to just kind of trust that these people will trust you and we had a lot of conversations about that about how um, you know, what the intentions were with the story, which is, I always tell people, you know, it's just to tell the story. I can't control, you know, and I don't want to control how people are going to respond to it exactly, but I am just trying to fairly tell the story. And that's a scary thing. And so their amount of trust and abil- their willingness to open themselves up to me and trust that I was going to responsibly handle that information about their marriage, about, um, you know, their work lives, their personal lives, their personal histories. Um, I mean, there's obviously so much more that I know that wasn't able to fit into the story because it's, you know, a one day kind of story and you just got to get it done to a certain extent in the newspaper business, especially. But yeah, they, it, it required an, was contingent upon their trust in me and their willingness to be open because of whatever personal reasons they had for wanting to share the story, which one of the things that Madalena brought up, which I think is referenced in the story once, is that they know that they're not the only family in this situation. There are thousands of families navigating these things, whether it's husband and wife, mother and children. There's real human stories behind every single one of those caseloads. And I think that it's important to be reminded of that. And that's what I think they saw the value of sharing their story and the risk worth taking in opening themselves up to a lot of scrutiny. Um, In, like you said, a delicate story where you can look at every choice and say, who's to blame for this? You or them. And I am really grateful for that because I think we were able to tell a story that without that wouldn't have been possible. And the story is a good amount of anecdote and hard news. Um, and on the one hand, you have this couple, you tell the story of how they met, their marriage, their life together, hitches along the way, and how they got to this point. You start off the story with Luis watching Madalena graduate remotely on an iPad, which was almost, the, the scene was almost cinematic to me. It, it, it legitimately felt like I was watching a movie in that part. Um, and it was, it was so beautiful, but it was so sad at the same time. And then on the other hand, you're tackling big and relevant issues that are completely at play right now in front of us as Americans, uh, just w- with uh, immigration and the crisis at the border, etc. Why do you think that narrative-laced approach is effective in storytelling, especially in stories like this? I think those are my favorite kinds of stories to tell. Um, when you get to weave back and forth between here's a human being and their story and their experience, and here's the policy or the um, law or 
the more sort of detailed um, like process that is wrapped up in that or the historical context or something like that. You know, um, I think it's just sort of like, I'm going to zoom way out here for a second, but I'll go back and I'll zoom back in, I swear. Um, you know, I think it sort of goes back to this whole thing of like the role of a free press in a democratic society, which is that the, the idea is that the information that we have is supposed to help empower us as citizens to help create the society that we want. And my job is not to tell people one way or another, but I, I feel it's important to emphasize the humanity of people that we maybe will never meet or we've never met someone in their situation. And we still live in a society where we're really siloed. And in a lot of ways, social media or you know, all our, our digital media has helped connect us, but it's also helped to silo us further to mute the people we don't want to hear and stay in the among in the digital space in the place where we're familiar. And I think when you're confronted with the human details of, I mean, all I want to do is just confront people with the humanity of people that is that who are different from them possibly or people who are the same as them or they have things in common with i mean my only job i see is to present the full humanity of these people and um you know their their flaws and their challenges and their triumphs and their you know whatever it's just <laughs> um so i think what's what's interesting about what makes stories really compelling is remembering that there's societal influences, structural influences, policy influences that are directing the lives of people. And what impact does that have on their marriages or on their relationships with their children or their psychological health or their, um, you know, financial well-being, you know, just the impacts of those things. So, and connecting them, drawing those direct connections, because sometimes we don't make those connections when we, especially when we listen to thousand foot view political rhetoric a lot. Um, it's very hard to cut through that noise, but just hearing one story of one family can really make you think about something that maybe you wouldn't have thought about before. And what people do with those conclusions, what conclusions they come to, that's totally, that's the beauty of having an autonomous brain, I guess, is being able to draw what you want from that. But the information is there now and it might not have been before without the story. Yeah. How did this story get on your radar? Um, a faculty or a staff member from OHSU School of Nursing who I have um, I had a couple of talks with throughout um, uh, my time in Medford. He reached out to me and said that this student was to explain Luis's situation and said that he thought it would make a really good story. Um, and it was encouraging to me because I knew from the start that Luis was willing to talk about the story. Um, and you know, he didn't reach out to me directly himself. So that was all sort of like, a, those were all good signs to me. Um, and that was so, yeah, like I said, were, I was really tied up with um, 
like valedictorians and all kinds of stuff in the beginning of June, so I kind of couldn't pay a ton of attention to it until a little bit later. But yeah, that was how it first came on my radar. Um, and you had mentioned j just the amount of trust that went both ways that had to go into this story. So I was hoping you could take me through just just a little bit of how what the process was like, how you, long you spent reporting, interviewing these folks, just like what that whole process looked like in getting this all prepared before you got writing. Um, so my initial interviews were with Luis. Um, I, um, we did video interviews um, while he was in Mexico, well, I mean, well, he was already in Mexico at that point, so we communicated, um, uh, and we did some long video interviews, and he's a very, he's just also a, a very candid, open interview. Um, he is willing to be honest about what he was thinking at that time or why he made the decision that he did at one point or another. And um, and that's something that really builds trust as a reporter when you feel like your source is not trying to just show you the parts that they want you to see. Um, and of course, everyone does that to some extent. Um, and it's our job to like try to find out what might be missing. Um, and um, And then, yeah, I think just a matter of trying to talk to more people. I wish I could have spent longer on the story. Um, I think that with how much is going on in Luis's story, um, you could spend a long time on it because it's a really, I mean, it's just a really interesting story. And um, he feels so Southern Oregonian, um, but like now is the time where it becomes very clear that like, by the law, he's not. And um, so where do you go from there and what do you do with that? Um, so yeah, and then Madalena um, and I connected and um, she was totally willing to have us come to their apartment and talk with them there. I like to talk to people in their homes and in their spaces for, for stories like this. I don't wanna invite people to come here um, like to the Mail Tribune or um, meet for coffee or something like that. I really want to see them in their space um, with the things that are familiar to them. So if they think of something, they can just grab it. Um, and yeah, so all of those things I think really lent a personal aspect to it, you know, and, and being able to be there at the ceremony, watching all that unfold um, and watching the two of them interact. That was the only time that I got to see them interact. Um, and um, you know that's an that's an important thing. I mean, it's really emotional, like to watch them um, together, like navigating that. And there were definitely tears on that day, and and a lot of joy. And that's the reason why I wanted to start with that scene in the story because I felt like it wrapped all those parts together of the personal aspect of their marriage, as well as Luis's education and the immigration portion of his uh, undocumented status here and how that is sharply in focus now because he would, could not be there for that ceremony. Yeah, absolutely. Um, this is sort of a silly, obvious question, but do you think you'll follow up with these folks? I definitely, and I think that we'll probably stay in touch, yeah. Um, yes, I think that it's, uh, we'll, we'll try to stay in contact, you know, it's, it's the story's not over. No one's story's ever over, but um, 
they have, you know, a long road ahead of them. So it'll be interesting to see how, you know, they walk through all that. Thank you for making the time today. You can read uh, Kaylee's story at mailtribune.com. Just do a search for patience and separation if you don't want to go digging. This is Ryan File from The Insider. We'll see you soon.